Great American Trucking Show in Dallas, Texas. Welcome to Road Dog Trucking News with your host, Mark Willis. Driver K1, welcome you to the program. It is good to have you listening in, and it's great to be here at the Great American Truck Show in Dallas. Gats, day number two is underway, and thank you for letting us tag along with you wherever you may be all across North America. Let me give you the phone number to be part of the conversation. It's 888-876-2336 across the planet. If you want to get on board and join me, and yeah, it's great to be here at the show, and uh, we're seeing a lot more folks that are coming into the building here at the K. Bailey Hutchison Convention Center, and they're just now taking in the flavor of the show, the atmosphere, a lot of cool things that are going on here in the booth. Would love to get you to come on by, and I'd love to get you to call in if you want to maybe weigh in on some of the remarks from the uh, head of the FMCSA, Mr. Ray Martinez, who was on just a minute ago. Uh, during the segment, talking about the hours of service listening session. That is all done. Uh, two hours of nonstop conversation, from what I understand. It's great to have on the program to talk a little bit about this and some other things going on. Tim Ashoff, and of course, a very familiar name to the program here on the show, and uh, he is the president, CWO of Creek Carrier Corporation. And, sir, it's good to see you. How it's you great all? to be back. As we always say, it's amazing how time flies, and here we are at Gats, so another year's <laughs> gone by. It, it seems just seemed like we just wrapped up the last one, and we're back. It's like, oh, man. Well, tell folks a little bit about you. What do you do, President CWO Creek? What you got? Well, I've been at Creek Carrier for 17 years. We're a family-owned company, and it's, uh, it's just a great organization to be a part of, and I'm so proud of that. And, you know, I, I really view my job as, as being quite simple. It's uh, taking really good drivers and putting them together with really good freight and you know trying to be the the uh, um, do the right thing in the middle there and and so uh, there, there's a lot more to it than that as you might understand but if we focus on our fundamentals focus on our values and focus on just hey we got to take care of our drivers and we got to take care of our customers and things seem to work out you know i'm reading some uh, of the uh, notes here about the uh, listening session that went on a little while ago and uh, ray martinez was up talking about the importance of folks getting involved in the whole process of offering feedback through the um, fmcsa website federalregister.gov I talk about this, I mean, because now we've got five different ideas that are under consideration by the agency. They want to get feedback, advice, recommendations from those that are uh, out there in the field. For example, one thing that they want to do is uh, looking at uh, maybe expanding or lengthening the driver's maximum on duty period from 12 to 14 hours, uh, maybe making some changes with the uh, uh, 100 air mile status uh, to 150. Overall, what are your thoughts concerning this? Uh, looking at these recommendations, how would these changes benefit your company? Well, first off, I think I, I appreciate Mr. Uh, Administrator Martinez, as you mentioned, and his team for for truly being open to feedback. And they want feedback from all of their constituencies, from you know, from drivers, from carriers, from shippers, from receivers, from safety advocacy groups. So I do applaud them for how open they are and how they really are, you know, taking that feedback to heart and and asking good questions. I, I was able to sit in a little bit of that. Uh, not only was it obviously getting feedback from those constituencies, but then, you know, they, they were engaged and they were asking really good questions, follow-up questions. You know, I think they've worked hard at, at providing some flexibility that drivers have been asking for um, <laughs> since we've had the ELDs. You know, we have that 14-hour um, continuous clock and the 10-hour break rule. Uh, and then it has some, you know, there's some stringencies in that that really can, in sometimes, some circumstances, maybe make things less safe uh, than intended. And that's certainly not what the FMCSA is intending. So mm-hmm. uh, them looking for ways to provide that flexibility in some of those, you know, situations to allow drivers to make the right choices for safety, uh, I think they've done a good job at looking at, you know, four or five options for that. And the hallmark of your organization is safety. That is paramount throughout the 
entire organization. I'm sure you've gotten a lot of feedback from divers about the importance of that of that flexibility. I mean, they are out there on the road. They're giving you the advice and recommendations. They want to make sure they carry out their core mission. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, the, the big thing is our drivers want to understand it, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they, something new comes out, and, you know, what does it exactly mean? How will it impact me? When can I use this? When, when, when can I have flexibility? So we're having those conversations with them now. And at the same time, we know that, hey, this isn't final yet either. Yeah, I mean, this, is, yeah. this is exactly what the FMCSA is looking for, too, is driver feedback. So if they need to make some adjustments to that, they still do that in the rest of the rulemaking process. One of the uh, interesting remarks from uh, Administrator Martinez, he said that, uh, you know, once all of this is done, done, for the time being, there could be more changes. I mean, this is simply just not the case of the government stepping in and saying, okay, this is the way it's going to be forever. Uh, this is where the industry's got to be prepared for any additional changes and things like that. That's the key for the whole industry top to bottom. Be flexible, be nimble, move that freight. That's the key thing. Absolutely. So much changes in a short yep. period of time in our industry. You know, there's just so many outside factors that are influencing that from technology. Uh, you know, I know. remember uh, last year, maybe two years ago, again, time flies, we're walking here and what we talked about, well, there's an app for that. You know, there's yes. this new technology just uh, changing everywhere, uh, new ways of doing business, and supply chains um, change, they adjust. And so for the administrator to be willing to say, hey, we have to adjust with the industry, it's not just a one and done. That's good to hear as well. Uh, I really like the fact that uh, the driver's voice is being heard here. I know there's going to be a number of listening sessions that are going to be going on. Drivers have the chance to maybe weigh in on this as well through that portal we were mentioning, the Federal Register. I also would love to see, like, shippers weigh in on this as well. Uh, what is your thoughts on that about the importance of those that are connected to the industry uh, weigh in on this, not just drivers, not just uh, trucking companies, but, say, consignees, shippers. How critical is that? I think it's real important for, for two reasons. One, um, the, the agency needs that input to be able to understand the full scope of yeah, the impact yeah. of the rule. Uh, and two, they actually need that for the rulemaking process. Uh, you know, in order to justify some of the things they do, they need to have data. They need to have input. So if they don't have that, you know, they can't make the adjustment. Right. So if a driver's, for example, just say, hey, we, this is, we think this is what happens out there, so you need to change the rule because of that, well, they... It, through the, for the rulemaking process, they have to have something to support that. So by shippers, receivers, uh, providing that information, it actually helps the FMCSA get to the right point. I also would think that uh, one of the critical elements as well, Tim, is uh, the fact that uh, the drivers are on the road, of course. We've got them operating the vehicles, uh, but we've also got uh, folks that are inside of the office, uh, the fleet managers, dispatchers. And as these rules continue to change as well, it's important to keep them on the, on the same page and hear from them from inside of the office as to how that works. Absolutely. And, and one thing I think to keep in mind, and certainly how we view this um, from our company's perspective, is you know, the hours of service rules are a guideline to ensure that, you know, in general, the workforce, um, driving force out there is doing things safely uh, and certainly aren't fatigued. But it's also um, important to remember it's always up to that driver in that seat to determine if they're safe. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the flexibility that is being given to uh, the hours of service rules really is putting that uh, decision into the driver's hand as to whether or not they want to use that flexibility. Mm -hmm. And so that's the important thing, message, you know, we give to our people internally is, hey, you know, we understand this is what the hours of service rules say, but we have to rely also on the driver uh, to tell us. They may be something out there that they can do legally, mm -hmm. but if they don't feel they can't do it safely, you know, we have to go with the driver. And so I think with these 
flexibility um, provisions that they're putting in there. That's an important thing that we have to remember as a company is that, you know, that's up to the driver. You know, <laughs> just because the FMCSC has said now you can do this, it doesn't mean it's the safe thing for dri that driver to do in that situation. So we'll, we'll rely on the driver to, to give us that input and certainly wouldn't be forcing them uh, to do something ever that, that they couldn't feel safe doing. You, you know what I really love about the industry is that we often talk about uh, the fact that there is such a big need for drivers out there and keeping them uh, keeping them on the road, the ones we've got now. But there's also a lot of growth and a lot of potential inside of trucking companies. I mean, we're talking about folks that oh, might uh, be able to do dispatch work or fleet management or maybe able to help in human relations out there. This is a great industry. I know we've got some dips going on in the rates right now. We hear a lot about, a lot about that. But there's some exciting growth going on, not only internally, but and, but also on the road as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's. Uh, I often uh, will run into people and and th that I don't know, and they'll say, "Hey, what do you do?" I say, "Well, I work for a trucking company." And you know, there's always this stereotype of you do like one of three things. Oh, well, you're a dispatcher, or you're a driver, sure. or you're a mechanic. Right. And it's like, no, you know, we we are a business like everyone else. We had a lot of great positions out there, you know, from. You know, like you said, HR and otherwise, but, you know, hey, we have accounting folks. We have data analytics scientists, Absolutely. you know, those types right. of things. Right. I mean, anything any business needs, you know, we need as a trucking company. And we are a growing industry, you know, uh, even though you, you mentioned a little bit that, uh, you know, last year was just a crazy year. Yeah, for the yeah great world very stuff. robust. Right. It's still really strong this year. You know, yeah. we're, we're still, the volumes out there are still higher than they were last year, certainly higher than they were two years ago. Just a little more smooth. It's not as uh, chaotic, but, you know, it's still a growing industry and the economy's doing well. So, you know, there's, there's opportunity in our industry. All right, let's go to the phone. Send again the phone number to call in. It's 888-876-2336. And again, Tim Ashoff on the phone with me with Crete. First up, I've got uh, England, who is on the phone in Oregon. Welcome, sir. You're on with Tim Ashoff. How are you? Good afternoon, Tim. I'd like to ask you a quick, quick question. Uh, right now, I'm in, the, I'm in the state of Oregon. I'm driving. Uh, I-5 southbound. But I want to ask this question. It's a very important question to some drivers that are out there on the road. What states would you recommend somebody to start a trucking business in, whether they have a state tax income or no state tax income? Are there a go or no go there with certain states in regards to what the economy is going to show its nasty or good head in a couple of days? Well, I think that there's obviously a number of factors you want to look at when you're uh, starting a company. Certainly, uh, the, the tax environment and how friendly they are to business is an important one. But the first thing I would focus is on is where are you going to be able to have good, consistent, and consistent business? And, you know, I think if, as we look at demographic trends, and it depends also what you want to haul, we haul mostly consumer packaged goods and food stuff. And if you see where people are moving, it's the southeast, um, Texas. Uh, is a strong place, um, and certainly those are generally areas of the country that are generally more business-friendly, too. Texas, for example, is yep, generally business-friendly. Yep. Florida, uh, people moving down there, a lot of consumers moving down there. So uh, I would first look at, hey, what do I want to haul? Who do I want for my customers? And then see where the trend is in that, in, in that industry. Uh, where is there going to be steady demand over time? And uh, th I'd look at that first, and then I'd probably look at the, obviously those are important things, taxes and, and business climate regulation, but if you don't have the business in the first place, that doesn't matter much either. So uh, that would be my recommendation. I'd, if it were me, I'd probably start down in the southeast or Texas. Okay, because I'd like to put that into my business plan before I even start or even mm -hmm. say buy a piece of equipment or do a lease. Yep. 
You know, a good way to you know do that too is even to lease on with the company, um, lease on with somebody like us, get get an understanding of our freight flow and and where you know you always got freight and otherwise, and that's a good way to get a feel for it too. You know, that's a really great question, especially understand, understanding the freight flow because mm-hmm. you've got to understand the lanes, you have to understand the type of goods like you're mentioning that's going to be uh, most important to go into a certain area like that. Great call, sir. Let's go next up to Bob in Wisconsin. Hey, Bob, welcome, sir. You're on with Tim Ash off with Creek. Hey, Tim. I also just finished watching the uh, listening session on the live stream. I'd be curious to your reaction. Andrea Marks brought up the concerns of drivers driving for large carriers with forced dispatch policies, which, as I understand it, Crete does have. But would you or people like you at Crete object to regulatory language that says what you're already what it sounds like you're already thinking about which is split brakes only being taken at the driver's choice what are your thoughts well that's what our policy is now so it wouldn't really impact us and certainly i already know there is there's regulations out there already prohibiting companies from coercing drivers to do things that aren't safe so you know we believe that that's inherently in the spirit of the regulations out there anyway and so that is our policy so yeah no i i think it's uh, I think it should be in the driver's control in that instance, um, and you know because ultimately, as we said, we're all for safety. Yeah. Yep. And uh, we we can't tell from sitting in the office uh, how safe that driver feels. So they have to let us know and make that decision. All right. I appreciate the uh, phone call, Bob. You know, and also too, Tim, from the standpoint of uh, utilizing the electronic locking devices. I know you guys have had those on board uh, for a number of years, looking at uh, the predictive analytics, the crash mm-hmm. information. And things like that. Overall, we're switching over from the AOBRDs to the ELDs now by the end of the year. Uh, the industry is really on the right track with these ELDs, aren't they? I think so. Yeah. Um, I think it, it really is. Uh, you know, our, we've had them since, oh, geez, I think 2009, 2010 time frame, really, uh, essentially. And, you know, it's been a real benefit for drivers. Yeah. And yeah. it really does help them understand not only are they compliant, uh, but it helps us as a company. You know, the, the caller before mentioned that we're we're forced dispatch. I wouldn't really say we're forced dispatch. We give drivers um, loads that we can see now that match up with their hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if they can't do it, even if we think it looks like it matches up with their hours, they just tell us and we find them a different load. But, you know, the information we have now to make the right decisions for the benefit of the driver, it, it's much easier to match them up with the right loads the first time. The that, first time. That, that is going to be really one of the great things about uh, the uh, data coming in because uh, you're able to look at a driver, say uh, what they're going to be doing or what they've done in the past and see which routes they want to run. That's a great thing about the predictive analytics, the big data that's going to be driving the industry going forward. Really has been a tremendous benefit overall, hasn't it? It is. Just, it almost is overwhelming, though. As I mentioned before, we do have a, we have a vice president of analytics now. I yes. mean, Ten years ago, you wouldn't have <laughs> thought about that. Right. And it, it's right. really there's so much you can analyze and so much you can really figure out, well, what should we be predicting? That that's the first step is, hey, what, what are the right things to be looking at? And, of course, our, our goal is always to improve our, our driver experience and our customer yep. experience. So that's what we are focused on. But, yeah, there's a just a, a ton of data out there. You know, one thing is also ensuring we have accurate data. Yep. You can make uh, bad decisions if your data isn't accurate. So it, and then really de- deciphering what is that data really telling us because we still have to make good you know, human business decisions, yes, right, human interactions, right, right. Um, because there's some, there are some things that just those data and the model can't take into, into account. You know, I'm looking at uh, some of the information up on the website, and you really have a lot of great stuff that's out there to benefit uh, and help out the driver. For example, there's a portal uh, talking about or discussing the importance of work-life balance, 
audiobooks for the long haul, also trucking apps to make life easier. And this is what drivers are looking for. They want convenience. They want things at their fingertips. And again, going back to things that are driving, big data to help make that driver's life easier. Absolutely. You know, and we know it's a challenging job. And, you know, if we can keep someone in a good work-life balance uh, yep. and that they're feeling uh, you know, refreshed, they're in a good state of mind, we know they're going to be safer, we know that they're going to be a happier uh, um, team member, and we'll keep them longer, So that's the, and they'll be in the industry longer, yeah. which is the ultimate goal. Yeah, you know, and speaking of bringing younger drivers in, a uh, big push on now to try to get drivers, say, between 18 and 20 to join the industry, uh, and to be part of the, uh, you know, the drive safe act, or the, drive, the uh, getting them into a situation where they can get trained. I hear a lot of feedback about some folks that are very much in favor of bringing younger drivers in between 18 and 20, and uh, some say obviously not. Uh, what is your thoughts on that concerning younger drivers? You know, I, I think our our view on that is it really depends on what you're bringing them in for. Okay. Uh, because okay. you know, if you the majority of our business is pure over the road, irregular route driving, where you can be anywhere from you know New York City to L.A. at, at any given time, sure. and in, in different times of year, you got mountains, you got other things. Right. So our feeling on bringing in younger drivers, you know, right now, um, you know, the states allow people to have uh, commercial driver's license under the age of 21, but right. they're only allowed to drive within that state. You know, our feeling is, is we're from Nebraska, it's a long state, and if you, you know, you have a license, you can drive from Omaha, Nebraska to Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, which would be, you know, 450 miles, but you can't drive from Omaha to Council Bluffs, which is just across the river. Right. So we've talked about, hey, would it make more sense uh, for uh, the new younger drivers to have more of a geographical area, like maybe sure. a 600-mile radius versus a state? That way they get used to the environment that they're in, and, hey, if that happens to be in the mountains, well, then they're used to the mountains, but to take a younger driver from... Indiana, and then, you know, in the middle of January, have them go on I-70 and then over Donner and, and all that. That takes some That's experience. Say it is. <laughs> and so I don't know that we're putting them in the best position. So, you know, I think some of the things that are, are being moved forward with respect to um, certain training requirements for younger drivers, uh, I think those are the right track. I think we just got to balance with, you know, what operation are those drivers going to be in, and are we ensure that they can safely do that operation. Uh, what are you also hearing as far as, like, raising the insurance minimums? That is another big uh, item. Under consideration, mm -hmm. uh, currently running about 750000 up to 4.5 or yeah. 4.9 million. Uh, a lot of feedback about that, uh, saying that it's really going to have a, quite a financial pinch on the industry. Uh, overall thoughts on where, where we are with insurance? Well, from, from our perspective as a company, I don't know, say I'm not going to say I'm going to speak on behalf of the industry, sure. but um, I don't know what the exact number should be, but I do think it should be uh, above 750000 You know, It's been that number for decades. Mm -hmm. uh, we, as a large carrier, uh, we're self-insured. Um, we certainly have to know that if we're involved in, in an unfortunate incident, you know, we try to be safe and, and do everything we can to prevent them, but sometimes those things happen, mm -hmm. um, that we need to be able to, uh, you know, obviously compensate uh, the people that are involved. And if you have trucking companies at the lower insurance rates with the claims inflation and medical inflation that's gone on, 750 just probably isn't, um, hasn't kept up with uh, inflation. Is there a concern that uh, the number of insurance underwriters are really kind of like uh, just not willing to get in? to the game of writing trucking policies now. I'm hearing of an, a number of them that are saying we just just can't afford it because claims yeah. are, are too high. I don't know that has that really has anything to do with the uh, $750,000 minimum. I just think that has to do with what's going on with claims in general. Okay. You know, whatever okay. you have that, that sure. coverage amount at, the, the trucking industry is being really challenged. 
by um, very aggressive plaintiffs' attorneys out there, to be quite honest. With Are you. you in favor of tort reform? I would, I would be very much in favor of tort reform. Okay. And, you know, it's much like the MedMal was years ago. Right. You know, you right. Know, medical uh, verdicts against the doctors that were often you know, trying to do the right thing were just getting very, very large, and it became unsustainable for the medical care industry. And unfortunately, it's almost becoming that way for trucking. As you've heard, you know, there are a lot of trucking companies, particularly uh, smaller ones, that, that can't uh, afford the large increases that are coming. You know, you're hearing from 20 to 30 to 100% increases in premiums out there. Let's go to the phones. We'll go to Gerald, who's going to be next up in the state of Georgia. Gerald, welcome to the program. You're on with Tim Ashaw. Hey, Tim, I was just wondering if you guys have a program to help drivers stay healthier on the road where they can get the knowledge base to where they're not losing their medical parts. And if not, is there a way to reach out to you and maybe help in, uh, implement one within Creek? Well, the timing of your question is very good. We're actually just testing a couple of programs right now. You know, we've, we've looked at programs over the years. We've had different programs. We have a couple things right now. We have a nurse call line uh, where certainly any of our um, employees can call into that call line and ask, you know, specific questions about a specific thing. But something more long-term like a, a wellness, a lifestyle program, a, hey, if I want to help uh, quit smoking or I want help with, uh, you, you know, my diets or exercise or otherwise, We've had some programs over the years that we've tried and haven't been as successful because most of those programs have been geared for um, other workforces, not drivers yep. are out there yep. mobile. So now we're actually uh, working with a, um, a couple people that have programs designed specifically for drivers, and we're, we're kind of excited about what we're seeing. Um, so we'll see how that develops. But we do know um, certainly that's, that's very important. We want you to be healthy out there. We want you to you know, keep your livelihood, keep your profession, and we also want you to be safe. So whatever we can do to help, we're looking at ways to do that. Uh, let me ask you about uh, how you're viewing the rest of 2019 going forward into 2020 mm -hmm. as far as the, the business aspect of the trucking world, uh, growing the business, bringing new uh, contracts in and things like that. That's an ever-changing model, isn't it? It is. Uh, yeah. you know, and I, I'm actually you know, fairly optimistic about uh, the rest of 2019. In fact, just uh, the last couple of days, uh, on, I went from Lincoln and on my way from Lincoln, Nebraska, down here to Texas, I, I did a road trip and visited a bunch of customers on the way. And, sure, sure. And certainly wanted to get their feelings on how things were going. And, you know, the economy is good. Yep. Consumers are spending money. Uh, we haul food stuff and consumer packaged goods, so we're in a, in a good business right now. Our customers are looking forward to a, a good holiday season. We are seeing that holiday uptick already. We were hauling the Christmas yeah. trees two weeks ago, our we official really? ones, of course, oh, oh uh, already two weeks ago that were going into stores. Wow. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. We've, we've been growing. Uh, our business has been growing. You know, again, we mentioned a little bit earlier, last year was kind of yep. chaotic. Yep, and, you yep, know, you, yep. wherever you looked, you had options for freight. This year, um, there's still a lot of freight out there, but not always as many options. Um, so we have, to, we have to work harder and make sure we're getting, um, you know, good freight and good options for our drivers. And I, I have to say, you know, our, our sales team has been successful in doing that. So we're looking to bring on more good quality drivers and continue to grow. Uh, what I really find to be outstanding is that uh, this is such a great interconnected industry uh, because you work with a lot of uh, different uh, manufacturers of food items like you were mentioning out there. And that's a big part of the company's overall business. I mean, getting consumables from uh, the manufacturing plant uh, to the store, having them do that turnaround and uh, having those trucks always on the roll is always going to be the need to get food on the table and uh, always going to be the need to get uh, pets their food and things like that. And in fact, uh, I'm going to be heading up and uh, visiting uh, one of the plants uh, very close to Nashville uh, coming up very soon. That connectivity is so critical in the industry, right? Everybody's got to be on the same platform. It is so important. You know, we talked earlier about, hey, but we need to be connected with the regulators, with the FMCSA, yep, and they yep. need to be connected with us. But we need to be 
connected with our customers to yeah. see what you know what's their future bringing what are their changing shipping patterns what's their changing manufacturing patterns yes. what are their changing customer behaviors because we're going to have to adjust and go to that so for example um Somewhat by by history with us, we started uh, in Crete, Nebraska, hauling Alpo dog food. That was our first customer, and they're still a customer of ours today. Awesome. But about four or five, six years ago, we got heavily into hauling pet food. Well, that pet food market's been growing and growing and growing, and so uh, our customers have been continuing to grow, so it's been a great thing. But, you know, we had to kind of look into that, hey, what areas do we want to focus? And so we're looking for, hey, we got to go talk to customers. Hey, what parts of your business are growing, and how can we help you be a part of that growth? Are are you seeing more of the uh, customers bringing in technology, automation, Mm -hmm. warehousing, really? Uh, being streamlined, helping to help the uh, whole process become more efficient. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually just at a, a customer's uh, new DC yesterday, um, and the automation that's being put into those are, are amazing. The sorting, yeah. the, the yeah. casing, the separating, the automatic breakdown of pallets uh, is becoming quite uh, you know, remarkable. So that's a, a big thing we're seeing. But at the same time, you might talk, well, you know, what's, what's the impact on that on jobs? Well, I can tell you I'm still talking to most of my customers are saying they're having a hard time finding enough warehouse workers. You know, economy's good, so that has been a challenge. So, um, you know, good growth in the economy. I'd say the second thing that we're seeing is um, somewhat with, uh, you know, e-commerce out there and what we ex- expect as consumers and tracking our, our orders, our shipments and that, uh, the, our customers' customers are wanting the same thing. So visibility through the supply chain end-to-end. So us being able to tell our customer where their load at is, where load is at, not necessarily every minute, but maybe every 15 minutes, that visibility is, is what they're calling it. That's what they're wanting more and more of, and we're having to work with them on. Uh, I was uh, just wondering, too, as we get ready to wrap up, we've almost gone through 30 minutes here on the uh, program. A lot of talk about the uh, cross-border freight. Mm-hmm. Uh, NAFTA's, uh, or the reworked NAFTA, is a huge item. We're talking about billions of dollars that are coming over from Mexico into the United States. And, in fact, the Port of Laredo is now the biggest port. I mean, it surpasses Los Angeles, Long Beach, due to the amount of freight coming in uh, from various spots. Uh, uh, are you involved in cross-border freight? Is that on the drawing board maybe on the other side of, of that as well, maybe for, uh, the freight coming in from Canada? So we actually don't send our own drivers and trucks across border. We do have arrangements with customers where we send our freight down to um, we send our freight down to the border, and then they have a carrier either from Mexico or Canada take our trailer okay. and, and take it in and then bring it back out to us. Um, and part of the reason we've done that is uh, as cross-border um, moves got more difficult, uh, more time-consuming, um, wasn't as driver-friendly, uh, and so we, we decided rather than... Uh, have our drivers do that. Let's make these types of arrangements where our trailers go across, but our trucks and our drivers don't. Okay, one last question. Uh, somebody called in, but they could not hold on profit-sharing program at Crete, uh, specifically for owner-operators. So we have a profit-sharing program, yes, for uh, our, our employed uh, drivers, and certainly uh, something that's been very valuable. We, I was just looking the other day, in the last five years, uh, for those uh, eligible profit-sharing members, it's added about two cents a mile to their pay. Okay. So cool. that's been great. Cool. And now, under the IRS programs, uh, we can't actually have uh, non-employees participate in that, so owner-operators don't qualify that. But what we do for them is we set up an IRA and providing a bonus funding into that IRA. So that's kind of our, our profit-sharing for owner-operators is a, a funding into an IRA so we can meet the uh, the regulations that the government has on, on those profit-sharing plans. Goodness sakes. All right, we are out of time. 30 minutes has gone by. Wow. 
we have flown through this, and yeah. that's always great. Yes. Uh, Tim Ashoff, Drivers President and CWO of Crete. Always good to see you. Let's get the websites out sure. there, social media phone numbers as well. Sure. You can uh, find us at uh, uh, www.cretecarrier.com. You can find us out there on Facebook. Call us at 800-998-2221 or come stop by and see us at the booth today at booth 3132. Outstanding. It was a lot All of fun. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Tim Ashoff with Crete. And, uh, again, uh, I've got a lot of cool things I'm going to be doing with them. We're going to be doing a remote broadcast coming up very soon uh, at just outside of Nashville. So I'll have more details on that coming up at a later point.